from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to have you here every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, starting a little bit into 9 a.m. this morning. Hope your morning is going well and that your holidays went well. No matter what you're celebrating, I hope you had a good time. I hope you had fun. I hope you enjoyed it. Whatever it may be, how, you know, if you were celebrating Passover or Easter or whatever you were celebrating, I hope you had a, a great time. I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you got to spend some time with your family and have some good time and, and good quality time with those that you love and appreciate. So, you know, for all of, you know, for whatever it was to you and whatever this has been to you this, this, this past weekend, I hope it was a great one. I hope you got to spend it with friends and family and loved ones, and uh, if it was Easter, I hope you hope you got a nice Easter basket from the bunny. If if it was Passover, I, I hope you enjoyed that and celebrated that, and you know whatever it may be, I you know for me, it was all about my Lord rising from the dead. So it wasn't about presents, it wasn't about candy, it wasn't about this, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that I come from a God who gave his only son and let that son give his life for us. You know, I I just, we are a very, very blessed, blessed group of people. Uh, We're a blessed, we're a blessed race. And when I say race, it's everybody. I don't know why we split ourselves up as, as humanity a long time ago, but we need to bring ourselves back together. And, you know, I I just feel very honored to have the life I have, to love the God I love, and to be a part of what I'm a part of. So, for me, you know, Christmas, Easter, everything, they all all have a special meaning. And that meaning is God. You know, we can lose our way and, you know, kind kind of lose sight of things at times and that happens for everybody but it, it's it's that fighting to regain it and to appreciate what we have and where we came from and 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 all that is around us good bad or indifferent to appreciate the life we got and i really do i appreciate god i appreciate what he's given to us i appreciate what he's given to me and the fact that that Jesus rose from the dead, overcame, you know, the the thing that a lot of people fear most. So beautiful. So beautiful, so profound, profound, so wonderful. And I, I'm so thankful to have the life that I have and have the God that I have. So, you know, thank you to the Lord. And, you know, thank you for Easter. Thank you to my wife's parents uh, her dad couldn't be with us but we spoke with him on the phone to her mom to chuck to her sister to grandpa who treats me like his grandson not not you know grandson in law or this that and the other i mean he treats me like i'm his grandson 
And I appreciate that so very much. And to my mom and to my dad, and it was crazy. Like it was just my mom and my dad, you know, because my grandparents have all passed on it at this point. So it's weird to be like, oh, you know, like it was just my mom and my dad, but I really appreciated it. And, and I love them to pieces. And I had a really good time with my dad and I had a lot of fun with my mom and it was just good to have them both there and, and to have, you know, the family together. So yeah, it was a good life. It was a good time. It was a lot of fun for us and I appreciated it. So, you know, to mom and to dad and to everybody from my wife's family and, you know, grandpa's so cool. I called him while I was on the road. I called him while I was in Detroit and he, you know, he went to like the community place that they have and whatnot. And he was talking to his friends and he was like, my grandson called me from the tournament and I got to speak to him and it was so cool. And, you know, that, that meant the world to me that, you know, he felt involved and, and felt like, appreciated and then he was a part of something special so you know and that he thought it was cool I just wanted to call him because I miss my grandpa so you know it's funny how that happens how you know you out of the goodness of your heart and the love that you have want to talk to somebody and it turns out you know that it, it means just as much if not more to them as well to talk with them so you know thank you to everybody that that was with us for Easter and the grandpa and it's so my first Easter with my with my G mama in heaven, and I made it through without crying, G. But I, I miss you like crazy, and I love you, and thank you for making me the man that I am today. Thank you for making me the person that I am today. I love you, and I miss you like crazy. And with that being said, it's time to jump into what we have for you today on the show. I'm very excited. In just a moment or two, we're going to have Austin Morris come on to the show. Austin is no stranger. Him and I met with him playing for the Syracuse Strong Outdoor Team, semi-pro. Then he ended up going to the Rochester Kings and then got called up to the Philadelphia Soul, who have won championships inside of the Arena Football League, and they're at the highest level of indoor football. So he's fresh off of that. We're going to discuss everything that happened and everywhere to go from here. And then we will get into my one-on-one conversation with Hal Cohen, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, about the team and where the team is heading and what he thought about this season. And then from there, we'll discuss the final four for the men and the women. The men play tonight in the championship game. The women just finished things up, and we're going to discuss how amazing that run was for Notre Dame in just a little while. So with that being said, let's jump into the morning menu. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu that is, live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora. The morning menu right here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, as I said, is going to start out with Austin Ace Morris, very happy to have Austin on the show, on the broadcast once again. No stranger to me, no stranger to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, and very proud of everything that he's done. We got to have a great conversation about it a couple days ago here, and I'm happy to share that conversation with you now live online on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Very proud to do this. So with that being said, 
he's got a story to tell, and I'm happy that he's coming here to tell it. Austin, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, and and Austin, first and foremost, you know, just bring me bring me into it. Bring everybody listening into kind of what happened. You're you're playing for the Rochester Kings. Just bring me into how you got the Philadelphia soul and, and just kind of everything that came from there. Well, um, right now uh, we're heading into the, our third game in the season with the uh, Rochester Kings. Um, and we had a bye week and, you know, I've been sending out my film and uh, Philadelphia soul, you know, seen a little bit of it and, you know, they invited me into camp. Uh, for a few days, about four days, I was there, um, and it was a great, you know, opportunity for me initially. And you know, I got to meet a lot of good talent and learn a lot about myself um, and my talent and things that I need to fix on and things I can do better. And, and just in general, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to be out there and go from the uh, American Arena League to the uh, Arena Football League. And when you look at that, like you said, you know, you were, you were just sending your film out, trying to get it out there. You've had a couple games this season. I mean, you're always sending film out, doing things on your own, figuring out, you know, being your own kind of promoter and agent and whatever to get the information out there. Just what you could say about that, because, you know, you pushed and you tried and, and it worked and you got an opportunity and you got looked at. So just what you could say, because so many people are putting their film out and, and hoping that somebody sees it be it if they're a high school player trying to get recruited or in your case, you know, trying to play pro and move up a level and whatnot. Just, you know, just what, what you could say about that because people do it all the time. And, you know, I'll have people send a message to me saying, hey, can you retweet my film and, and help me put my film out? You did it yourself and it worked. So just what you could say on that. Yeah, a, l- a little thing about me um even in, even in the high school, when I was coming out of high school trying to get into college, um, I wasn't really heavily recruited um, coming out of high school. And I, I sent out all my, you know, film, and I was emailing coaches in high school. Um, and that's how I got into college. Um, so I took that same scheme, that, that, that same that same plan, and I brought that with me after college. And started off as a semi-pro player with the uh, Syracuse Strong, um, I, I knew that I had to find a way to get my name out there. Um, so I was sending my film out, going on different types of uh, tryouts, you know, around the East Coast. And that's how I initially heard about the uh, Rochester Kings. And, I, you know, I played with them the, the entire year last year, losing in the championship against the uh, Vermont Bucks. We went 7-1. And the championship game was our only loss last year. Um, so now coming into this season, we're two games in. Um, I already have five sacks on the season. We're we're two and zero, ranked fourth in the nation uh, in our league. Um, I continue to just send out my film, and it was it was tough because uh, you know there is a lot of people sending out their film. There are a lot of people trying to reach get reached out uh, to different teams and trying to put themselves on the map. And it's no it's nothing new as far as the scheme of things, but it's persistence is really what gets you there. And, and, you know, a little bit of luck as well. You know, the coaches have to get their hands on that film. And, you know, you have to, with me, uh, you know, I think they're, they're looking for a couple more D linemen and they wanted to give me a little look and, you know, it created an opportunity for me to, to see where I'm at as a, a, as a player. 
Speaking here with Austin Morris of the Rochester Kings, who just got an opportunity with the Philadelphia Soul. Just, you know, bring me into when you got up there and you got that opportunity, you're putting your film out, like you said, a little bit of luck, trying to reach out and whatnot. Did you have any connection with them at all, or was this just grassroots, pushing it out there, trying, hoping, praying, you know, bring bring me into that. Was there any connection, any help whatsoever, or was it just, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a shot in the dark and I'm going to, I'm going to bank on myself and just do what I can. Honestly, I, I, uh, I had no connections with the team. Um, I have no agent. Um, I have people that are backing me and they're on my side and looking out for me, but I don't, I didn't have any connections with the soul. It was literally, um, a shot in the dark for them and I, um, they, they took, you know, a couple of plays and a couple of films that they saw, and they thought, "Hey, why not give him a little shot? See, see if he can see if he can play with us." Um, and for me, you know, sending out my film and just reaching out to them was a shot in the dark. You know, because I sent out my film numerous times to all the teams in the league, so just pretty much um, perfect time, stars aligned, and you know, they they saw me and they they liked a little bit what they saw. Um, but going up there initially, you know, I had no clue what was going to, what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to be there for the entire camp or the entire season or just one day. Um, so everything was kind of just a, a shot in the dark for me and just, a, a you know, opportunity of a lifetime to uh, put myself on a map. Uh, and, and still, you know, I have an entire season with the Rochester Kings left. We only played two games. Um, we still have an entire season left. Uh, championship is June 30th, I believe. So it's still a lot of time um, to go. And, you know, when you when you look at that, and like you said, no connection, you go out there, you try. You, you spent a bunch of days with them. What can you say about, you know, just what you took away from the atmosphere, from, you know, like you said, having to sign, you know, day to day that you're going to be there and at any time they could they could cut you if they want to bring you back. They might. I mean, just just what the whole just what you learned from that, because you went out to Philadelphia by yourself and experiences by yourself for the AFL for the first time. What were they saying to you? What was it like, you know, having to sign each day saying, OK, I'm here today, but who knows about tomorrow? Yeah, so you know, every every day was a was a, a new day for me. I didn't know what to expect. Um, it is camp, you know. They're, they're the first of all, Philadelphia Soul is is the best team in, in the nation, the best team in the world uh, for arena. Um, they have all the best talent. They have the best coaching staff, best facilities. Everything was amazing there. Day to day, you know, we watched a lot of film. We practiced hard. People are competing for spots, um, trying to get themselves on the next platform. Um, most of the team, vets, uh, a lot of guys coming from Division One programs across the country. Um, a lot of a lot of great talent um, that you are surrounded um, by, and that and that in a sense that just changed the whole experience. That made the experience um, even more wonderful. Um, it made the experience even more real because. You look around and you see yourself around guys who either already played in the NFL for a year or so uh, with different teams around the country, um, and now they're still trying to get their themselves back into the NFL. But then at the same time, there's other guys who um, 
live and breathe the AFL. They love the AFL. They won't ever leave the AFL because they love the soul. They love the, the atmosphere. They love the fans. They love the environment. They love their city. And, and that just, you know, really humbles you and, and really gives you the chance to kind of like really understand that, you know, football is bigger than, you know, just hitting some guys and scoring some touchdowns. It's, it's definitely, um, you, you build a lot of friendships and um, you have relationships with the fans and uh, everything just comes together as a whole. That coming from Austin Morris. Austin Morris, a local product, New York product, who has played for the Syracuse Strong, then moved into playing with the Rochester Kings and just had an opportunity with the Philadelphia Soul. Now that you got a, a taste of it, Ace, I know how you are. And, you know, from the day that I met you, you were AFL, CFL, NFL, you know, put stuff out there, tag them, let them know whether it's an interview. Like you and I would do an interview and you're like, put it out there, put film out there, get let them know. Let them see who I am on and off the field. You have been dreaming about this and pushing for this. Now that you've gotten a taste of it, bring me into where you're at right now because you don't stop, you don't quit, and now God gave you a little sample of some of those things that you've been hoping for. Totally, Dan. And you know, that the, uh, one of the biggest things that I, I take away from that experience was an, initially playing with the uh, Rochester Kings, you know, the talent level in the AAL is great talent across the league. You know, every team from the Richmond Rough Riders, the Carolina en- Energy, the uh, Atlantic Havoc, these teams have great talent. Um, so, you know, my league is a, is a great league. Um, but to go from the AAL to the AFL, there was a huge difference. Um, so what I took out of that experience was – the, the speed of the game is a lot faster than the AAL. Um, guys are guys do the everything the right way, like the, the details, the attention to details. Um, it's just a sense of just urgency in the AFL that I realized. And you know, coming waking up that morning, um, you know, I still work. You know. For fifty hours a week, so um, waking up that morning, I initially was just going to work and then I got the got, got the phone call and my life changed and you know I had to go to Philadelphia that night um so waking up thinking I'm just going to go to work and then end up playing in the AFL the next morning it, it, it really woke me up and it really caught me off guard but at the same time I knew it was a great opportunity I had to step up and I believe that I did a lot of good things and I, you know, I made, you know, some mistakes, but at the same time, you know, I learned who I am. I learned what I need to work on and I learned a lot of um, new things about myself that I can bring to the Rochester Kings to keep us going and, you know, help us win the championship and also to help myself out. Because like you said, at the end of the day, the goal is still the NFL. The goal is still the CFL. Um, And the goal is still the NFL. I would love to play in that league. I I enjoy my experience there. Um, And the things that I've picked up there um, will propel me for the next few months. Um, Training-wise, mindset-wise, attention to detail-wise, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot that I realize now. Um, and I would have never realized that if I didn't get that opportunity that the soul gave me. And sometimes, you know, I speak with some people and they talk about, well, you know, my son, he's he's 13 years old and they, they have him still playing, you know, JV, but he's a big guy. And it would be nice if he played varsity to see the speed of varsity. It's the same concept. 
when you're going from the AEL to the AFL. It's where, you know, nothing against the AEL, but compared to the AFL, you know, it's like that 13-year-old kid going from, you know, JV to varsity. And you're learning the speed and you're learning um, the atmosphere and you're, and you're playing against people who live and breathe um, this. And you kind of learn you learn how to change your mindset you learn how to uh, work faster you learn how to think faster and it, it kind of puts yourself in an experience where you know going forward you know coming back to that jv level you're gonna look at it a little bit different you're gonna see things a lot quicker than what you did before you're gonna make reads a lot faster than what you did before and also the strength of these guys is a lot different as well so there's a lot of things that go into the difference so it's definitely a great opportunity i plan on um coming back to the ael and you know wreaking havoc and making a name for myself so we could continue to show guys that it wasn't a fluke that I went to the AFL. It wasn't a fluke that I was up there, and I, I still am a very talented player. And, you know, and to do that, you know, like you said, to to bet on yourself, to believe in yourself, to, to get up there and, and get that opportunity, and then, like you said, to come back and say it's not a fluke. It You know, this wasn't a strange occurrence that I got called up there and got that opportunity and – you know, I have to show that, and I have to continue to work that way. You know, Ace, for as long as I've known you, you've told me, these are my dreams. This is what I want. You know, there's so many people in the world that want that opportunity, that have that dream that, you know, I mean, when it comes to broadcasting, everybody thinks they can be a broadcaster, especially with social media. Everybody's breaking news. Everybody talks to recruits. Everybody this, everybody that. And they don't see everything that goes into it. And the consistency and the push and, and just everything that you do. So when it comes to football or any sport, it's the same thing. You know, I want to be in the NFL. I want to do this. I want to do that. But it's the work ethic. It's the it's the in the trenches. It's everything that people don't see. You know, it's kind of like you and I are an iceberg where the majority of us is underwater and unseen. Right. People see a little piece of it, but they don't see the whole iceberg. But it takes a lot for this iceberg to be what it is. And it takes, you know, there's, there's so much under the surface that's done in the trenches, that's done in the quiet, that's done behind closed doors, that's done in the dark, just so a little bit of light can shine. Speak to a, speak to that a little bit more. Right. You know, so with the AFL, these guys are at work, you know, they, they wake up, they start their day, they watch film, they practice, they get treatment. Um, and then, you know, they practice and at the end, once everything is over, they're done for the day. Um, that's the AFL lifestyle. Um, in the AAL, the NAL, um, the lower level arena leagues, these everyone still has, you know, family, uh, still has to go to work. They still have to sustain their life. Um, so when you talk about the ice iceberg uh, metaphor, really, you know, what people see is they see the pictures, they see the film. Um, that's the top of the iceberg, what they see on, like, social media. But behind the scenes, underneath um, you know, underneath the, the water, um, the, the actual full iceberg that you don't see underneath, you know, that's me waking up six o'clock in the morning, still have to go to work. That's me still having to get through a full day and, and being dedicated to my career. Um, and then that's me going to the gym after work for two hours. And, and then, and then after, you know, working out, going right to bed and start the whole day over just for this opportunity that the AFL gave me. So as far as the iceberg um, 
metaphor, you know, that's legit what it is. You know, people see the the finished product on the field. They see like the pictures and the highlights, but they don't see that, you know, I'm at work during the, during the week that I'm training during the week. And my trainer, I believe is one of the best trainers in the nation. Um, he trained Brianna Stewart, uh, UConn legend. Uh, he trained, um, Tyvon Branch, uh, another UConn legend, uh, who you know plays in the NFL, going into his tenth year, um, and that's the guy who is training me every day. Um, you know, getting me mentally stronger and getting me obviously physically stronger and critiquing my body. And this experience helps him and I because now we know what to work on. We know what tweaks to work with. And going forward, you know, it, it made me even more hungry for the, the, the next level. Um, but as far as the iceberg metaphor goes, you know, there's a lot that people don't see. And I'm not begging anybody to see it or I'm not saying, hey, look at me, I'm doing this and that. But at the same time, you know, I, I want people to know that it's not an easy process and you do have to stay dedicated. And for anybody that's in my shoes or on the AAL or the NAL, um, I just say continue to do what you're doing. I'm no different than you. I got a little opportunity. I was there for a couple of days. But at the same time, you know, I still have a, a, lo a long journey to go. Um, and the journey isn't over right now. Um, and I hope that whether it's the other teams in the Arena Football League that give me a shot, or if it's the NFL that gives me a shot, or the Canadian Football League that gives me a shot, I'll be ready because now I know what I need to critique more, um, and I know where I'm at. And you know, honestly, it just you know it brightens your eyes and opens up your eyes, and you know, you know, legit what needs to be done now. Right? You know what can be fixed, and also you know like where you're at. Um, now I know that you know. I might not be, I might be the fastest or the strongest in the AAL, but in the AFL, um, you know, I got to get a little bit quicker off the ball. You know, I got to be a little bit stronger, read my keys quicker and know my plays and stuff like that. Um, so that's really my mindset going forward now. And, and when you look at this, speaking with Austin Morris, who is playing with Rochester Kings, just got an opportunity with the Philadelphia Soul. Like you said, now that you've been up there, now that you've done that, you know, this is the best in the biz. This is, you know, these are the champions. This is a team in the AFL that, you know, obviously has a lot of respect and whatnot. So when you, I mean, Ron Jaworski from ESPN has been connected with them. Bon Jovi has been connected with them. You know, when, when you move forward with this now, you got to go work out with them. You got to spend some time with them. You got to be inside of their locker rooms and their arena, their organization. So, you know, the rest of the AFL that didn't win a championship, you know, they can look to you and there's an opportunity there. So how do you kind of stay on top of this and keep pushing and keep plugging away knowing that, you know, you just, you just got called up by the soul and if they're the best team out there, then obviously there's teams that are fighting to to match them. And somebody like you who got a phone call, I feel like could have a good opportunity somewhere else. I mean, if, if you're getting called up to the king, so to speak, then you know some of the some of the paupers in town, some of the some of the farmers in town that need that help that want to be king someday might need to make that phone call. So how do you how do you stay stay up on that and keep going with that? I'm um, just doing what I've I've been doing. You know, reaching out to people, connecting with people, um, talking with people and, and explaining them, you know, what I believe I could bring to the table. Um, you know, bringing down the AFL doors um, has put me in a different uh, um, mindset, I want to say. And, and yeah, for, so to speak, 
it has higher my stock, but I still have to improve. I still have to work. Um, and you know, you know, owner of the Rochester Kings, you know, he's he's a great guy and he's by my side. Um, and, and I believe he's reaching out to some teams and and it's it's up to other teams to, to do what they want to do. If they want to give me a shot as well, you know, I, I hope to God they do. Um, then I'm gonna be ready, and I know what to expect. And I'm still here training, critiquing everything. Um, but like the grassroots. Um, campaign for my myself is is what i have to continue to do um and it's what is gonna propel me going forward um and i believe i can bring a lot of um, talent and excitement to teams but you know i just gotta get that opportunity um and i am hoping that those those teams around the afl you know look at me hey let's give him a shot you know let's see what he can do um but at the same time now that I'm back with the Kings, my mindset is to win a championship with the Kings. Um, and hopefully, you know, that would, you know, put me, you know, out there even more once we win that championship. Uh, but it's still a long journey. Um, it's still a lot, you know, a lot to go on. You know, I still have to, you know, focus on my job, focus on my relationship, focus on, you know, training and my family and everything. So, um, you know, it's still a lot going around, going on around me. But the mindset is still there. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Dan, you know, I started off a semi-pro guy. And for all those semi-pro players that's listening around the nation right now, um, it, it's not over just because you're at semi-pro. If you want to go to the next level, um, it's doable. And it's up to you to whether you're going to work or not. And and with me, when I was playing with them, Syracuse Strong, um, we won the championship the first two years. Um, I was the MVP the first year. And my mindset was I have to go to the next level. I have to go to the next level. And then with the Kings, you know, my mindset was I have to go to the next level. I have to go to the next level. And then we went to the championship and we lost. Um, my second year now with them two games in, that's still my same mindset. So, Going forward, um, same worth ethic, um, but actually not same worth ethic. I'm actually going to go a lot harder now that I saw what I need to do, what I need to do better, where I need to be. Um, but it, the mindset is still the same. I have to reach out to people. I have to do what I got to do um, for people to understand that, you know, I'm serious about this. Um, and for teams to take me serious and hopefully, you know, playing with the soul for a few days, you know, we'll have we'll let other teams around the league um, no, well, hey, he could have got cut the first day. Uh, whether the Philadelphia so needed me just for that, just for those couple of days to to help out their players, you know, get ready for the championship, whatever their mindset was, um, I was still there. And, you know, I, I hope that, you know, Philadelphia Soul continues to, you know, keep me, you know, on their radar um, because I plan on continuing to work and work and get better. And I know they have a long season ahead of them. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would love to be a part of that. Um, but at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm a free agent and, you know, I'm available and, and I'm ready to, you know, bring my talents to other teams around the nation. Um, but, you know, it all starts with, you know, me waking up every morning and ready to get it. That coming from Austin Morris, it starts off every single morning with simply waking up to go get it. You got to have the mindset. You have to have the belief. You got to have the faith. And then you got to go out and do everything you can on your side. You know, people make that notion, God meets you halfway. Well, in order to win the lottery, can't just tell God you want to win the lottery. 
you got to buy a ticket. You can't tell God you want to be in the NFL, the CFL, the AFL. You got to go to work, get in the trenches. You have to train. You have to lift. You have to know your playbook. You have to do all the little things to meet God halfway on that road. And sometimes he comes a little bit farther. A lot of the times he does that. But he wants to see you push. He wants to see you fight. He wants to see you get there. And I always said to God, put me on the path I'm supposed to be on. I don't want to spend time on something that that I'm not supposed to do. If I wasn't supposed to be a broadcaster, I was like, hey, I love doing this thing. But if there's something else out there for me, send me there. I don't want to waste time. And you push and you hope and you believe and you do everything you possibly can do. And so now I'm sitting here 15 years later and almost half that time in my own chair with my own company talking to a guy like Ace who, when he met me, said, Dan, this is what I want. He shook my hand. He said, so nice to meet you. I went and talked with the Syracuse Strong. And after speaking with them, he was one of those guys that I looked at and I didn't know, is he listening? Is he not listening? Does does he feel what I'm saying? Does he Does he appreciate what I'm saying? And after that, he came over, he shook my hand, he said, thank you, that meant something to me. And out of everybody I talked to, I remember Ace because of his shaking of my hand, him coming over, him saying, thank you, this means something, whatever I can do, I appreciate you being here. And then we, st- and then we stayed in touch. And then the first ever studio interview that we did was with Ace Morris. And then after that, the Rochester Kings and and having Ace tell me, hey, man, you know, this is going on and I'm really pumped about it to, you know, crazy things that happened to calling 911 about something that happened at a gas station and having the woman on the phone. She's like, oh, you interviewed my son, Ace. She's like, oh, I love that. And I was like, this is on recording. This is great to, you know, to to and the craziest thing in the world. You know, and, and as and what I'm doing to have somebody to to call it nine one one line or so you know what just something crazy and have somebody go oh I know who you are Dan Tatora yeah you interviewed it and it it was so cool to you know what you did with Rochester to then getting the text message from Ace saying hey there's this Philadelphia Soul thing going on and I want to talk to you about it. And I want to come to you about it. I mean, Ace, if you didn't, if I didn't speak that day to the strong and you didn't come up to me and shake my hand and tell me that my words meant something to you, we wouldn't be here today. So I think that I owe you the biggest thank you for saying hello that day so that years later we have this time. Yeah. Hey, Dan, that, that sounds amazing to me. You know, you know, the first time we met was, um, I was, Wet behind the ears. I was super hungry playing with the semi-pro Syracuse Strong team. And when you came in and you spoke with us, you know, I, I saw somebody that was on his own path and on the same path that I was trying to get into. Um, and I saw an opportunity to make myself better and connect with somebody that clearly knows what he's talking about. Um, and now three years later, you know, we're still on the same path. And so much more has happened now. And everything that we talked about is happening. Um, and it feels amazing. You know, God is definitely a presence. Um, my worth ethic is definitely a reason behind a lot of this. Um, but at the same time, you know, I know what needs to happen going forward. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if people like yourself aren't just hearing me out, are listening to me, giving me the opportunity, um, you know, I wouldn't be anything. You know, 
and, and that starts from high school when I was sending out my own film to get into college um, because, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, I couldn't find anybody to help me out in high school to get to college. I had to do it myself. So from college, from high school to college, college to pro, um, I still have that same mindset. And we're talking eight, nine years later. Um, and now at age 26, I still have a lot of time left to play ball. And I feel like I'm getting better every day, getting stronger every day. My mindset and my mentality is even more um, focused and tunnel vision on the next goal that I need to make and the next opportunity that I need to find. And going forward, I just plan on just continuing to do what I do what I do. And if I stay with the Kings the entire season, I'm not mad because I love all my teammates with the Rochester King. I love the um, the American Arena League. I love, you know, the fans and, you know, the opportunity that they're giving me because I'm still playing football at age 26, which a lot of people don't get the opportunity to say that they're doing. And if another league takes me going forward, then, you know, I'm going I'm to see what happens with that. But at the same time, I'm happy and, you know, I, I'm motivated and I want to continue to see what happens. That coming from Austin Morris here on the show on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora and, you know, somebody that, that I always appreciate and, and always have a good time with. So, you know, Ace, keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting. I know God is great. And I, 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 know, I know that no matter what people think about this, that, and the other thing, if you believe in yourself – if you believe in in something bigger than you, you know, then there's there's a lot to be had in this world. And I don't know how I don't know how people don't say thank you. I don't know how how we don't try to be around like-minded individuals and positive individuals and have that positive, you know, affirmation and reaffirmation every single day. You know, positivity breeds positivity. It's not just negativity breeding negativity and there's a there's a lot to be had and there's a lot to get in this world and and bring forward but you have to be willing to work for it and you have to be dedicated to it and you know you have to believe in yourself so you know people are going to do what they want to do ace they're going to believe in what they want to believe but hopefully through your story through my story we can help people to know that it, it can be a reality it can it can be something special and you don't have to give up. You don't ever give up, in the words of, of Jimmy Valvano. And, you know, people say, well, well, you know, what do you mean? He died of cancer. He said, don't ever give up. You know, why would I believe? I had somebody, because today's World Autism Awareness Day, I had somebody, I said, everybody's beautiful. We're all made by God's hands. And the person wrote back to me that they hate God and this, that, and the other thing. You know, people are going to believe what they want to believe, and, and they're going to say what they want to say. But, you know, you have to hold true to who you are and what you believe in. And when right. when the people come knocking with pitchforks and torches, you got to be ready to say, I'm not about that life. And you need to be above that. You need to move forward from that. And you need to understand that what you can do in life is beautiful, but you are the keeper of that. You have a canvas that God gave you. He also gave you a paintbrush. You got to go find the paint, and then you have to paint your own picture. He's not going to paint it for you. Totally. Totally. So as always, and, uh, brother, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. And um, you know, once again, uh, you know, thank you for uh, having me on the show, um, giving me opportunity to tell, continue to tell my story, um, because you've been with me telling my story since the beginning of the journey, um, and we're seeing everything come to fruition. 
Um, also, thank you, uh, Philadelphia Soul, for uh, giving me the opportunity to go out there. And they were 100% professional. Um, they treated me great. Um, they took good care of me. The players, the vets on that team were great guys, and you know they're very focused. And the whole experience in general was a great experience, and it humbled me. And you know I'm gonna continue to work um, and see what I can do for myself going forward. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. And, and no matter what Ace knows, he's always got a place here and, and I appreciate that. So say hi to mom for me. Tell her I said, what's up. And I, (laughs) and I look forward to talking with you soon, Ace. So be good and and keep working, stay in those trenches, do what you got to do. And you know that you, you always got a place to tell your story. Right. Thank you, Dan. All right, man. Take care. Have a good day. Yes, sir. See you. So that coming from Austin Ace Moore Morris once again. He goes by Ace Moore or Austin Morris. So it's a shortened version of Austin Morris. So for Austin, I appreciate him being on the show and, and everything that he's done. And like, you know, like I just told the story, we met with the Syracuse Strong. I was asked to go out there. I said, you know, I'll speak with the team. And they got all the guys on the field. We were out, you know, in like uh, West Genesee area and whatnot. You got everybody out on the field, like Camillus. And they were underneath this, this uh, like wooden overhang, you know, kind of like a picnic area. And I just spoke from my heart. And I spoke from, you know, a place of, of care and concern. And Ace was there and he heard me speak. And I tried to speak from the heart. And when I finished my speech, I'm like, I hope, I hope that it landed with some people. I hope that it meant something to somebody. And I just, I, it was weird. He was sitting kind of sideways and he was sitting on top of one of the picnic tables and he had his feet like on the, you know, where you normally sit on the picnic table. He was turned kind of sideways and he looked at me and he looked down and he looked at me and I just remember seeing him. And I remember, you know, when I try to look around the room and look at everybody, you know, it's part of good public speaking is to engage everyone and to let them know that you're looking at them and that you appreciate them and you thank them for being there and with just a subtle look. And, and I kept, I kept finding my way back to ACE and just wondering if I moved him. And I feel like he did something like he was kind of just like nodding his head or something connected or looked like it connected. And I was like, well, if I got to one person, then, you know, that means something. And he did, he came up to me afterward. And I just remember we shook hands and he was like, he was like, what you said really meant something to me. And he said something back to me. He's like, you said this, you know, he said, you said this. And that really resonated with me. And thank you. And I appreciate it. And thank you for being here. And, and then it's like, fast forward a bunch of years and here we are. And it's crazy. You know, we've known each other for like four or five years now. And I just think about the things we've gotten to do together. Like I said, in, in my studio, he was the first broadcast interview from in there. We shot a video together, a couple videos, uh, you know, interviewing him and, and what and what he could say about his dreams and his aspirations to Rochester telling me last season, you know, I'm going to be with the Kings to, you know, call me up and saying, Dan, I'm with the Philadelphia soul. I want you to be the person that tells my story. I want this to be something that that I get to share together with you. And it does. I mean, it's like they say that brothers, brother from another mother, that you don't have to be the same blood. And I mean, that's that's the truth of it all. I mean, 
something that I did took to him and something he did took to me. And I've, anytime Austin is around, you know, I want to help him out. I want to be there. And he's been that way with me. I mean, he, he comes to me and is like, Dan, I want you to be the guy to tell my story. I want you to do this. And when I, when you hear that, it makes you feel like something you did in life came back to you tenfold in a very positive way. And, you know, Ace doesn't have to make the NFL for me to love him and respect him. He doesn't have to make the CFL. He doesn't have to stick in the AFL for me to love and respect him. I'm going to love and respect a man for his fight. You know, there's people that will always love you for the destination. They will always love you for the jersey you put on. They will always love you once you make it. But it's the people that love you when you try to make it. When you're thinking you can make it. When you're working in the trenches to make it. That's the trueness. And he's always been there for me. Whether I have one listener or a million, he's always been there. So whether he is on a team that's in the highest league or he's working to get whatever it may be, I'm going to be around. Because Ace's fight is the story. It's not where he ends up. It's the fight. It's the fact that he works a full-time job and plays football and always banked on himself, banked on himself in college, had to find a way through that, navigate through that, figure that out, and then get to the strong and show them that he could do something when there wasn't a lot of tape out there. And then to move on from there to Rochester and Rochester to give him a chance. And then Philadelphia to call him up. And Philadelphia is this behemoth inside of the Arena Football League. So that's his story. But his story isn't done. And I would venture to say that when him and I are, are older, you know, in, in, in 80s, 70s, whatever, his story still won't be done. And I and my story won't be done. So I, I thank and I appreciate moments like that because it's moments like that and it's people like him that make you take a step back in life and really appreciate things and, and not take things for granted. We'll take a step aside. Hal Cohen will be up next. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrySigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrySigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DrySigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. 
This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513. Or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. He kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily, you know, we bring in local produce. We prepare to order in the kitchen. We hand bread our chicken. We hand spin our milkshakes. It's it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick Fil A restaurant. It's different. We we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so, you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick Fil A restaurant. And then lastly. The impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash Wake up call DT in the fast break that you just heard. He had the opportunity to hear from Chick-fil-A, Cicero, as well as Carvel DeWitt, Dry Lady, and Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. You could see all of the great companies inside of the team that we're proud to work with here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora by going to wakeupcalldt.com and right underneath the live feed, you will see the central New York and upstate New York businesses that we're proud that support us and proud to support them right back. So you can check them all out, click on each one of them and get more information. You'll also hear from each of them during during the broadcast today and during every broadcast Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. At this part of the show, as promised, Hal Cohen is on the broadcast with me here. Hal had made a joke during the ACC tournament that he'd love to be on the show more 
but he just can't he he can't get you know that time slot because Sonny Spira keeps taking it. So uh, with that being said, you know Sonny, I gotta have to tell Sonny that I snuck Hal back onto the show here again within just a couple weeks' time. But all jokes aside, always happy to have Hal on the broadcast. Former Syracuse player, always will be a member of the Syracuse family, and we're here today to discuss the season that was to some people miraculous to Syracuse's team. It was just a band of brothers that believed in each other. Hal, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me. I'm, I, I was surprised Sonny wasn't on this, this double sessions or something. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Sonny's... No, it's been great. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the season. As I said before, it's been a family affair. Kind of, We've as followed as fans and follows the family, and uh, we've enjoyed this season as much as, as any other season. Yeah, and well, maybe some more because of how, how much they accomplished. And when when they do what they do, you're speaking here with Hal Cohen. You know what what this team this team wasn't given a lot of credit. You know there there were times where they struggled, and you know I kind of looked at it and said this this team can go either way. You know they can either fall yeah. down or they could get back up. But the one thing that I saw about this team that that I've said repeatedly on the show, and I want to get your thoughts on it, is that no matter what happened, win, lose, or draw, close game or or a game that you know was where they lost by 15 or 16 or whatever. This team never blamed each other, never pointed fingers at one another. If they pointed fingers anywhere this season, it was back to themselves. O'Shea telling me, we don't move around enough on offense, and so Marek and I have to do a better job, and I'm going to put it on me, and it's 100% me, and I need to change this because I need to be better. To Frank Howard saying, I know that what you know he said he told me one game he said we all played great and then he and then he paused and he said well except for me in this game yeah. so they never ever went after each other they just demanded more out of themselves what can you say to that yeah I mean I don't know them individually and I don't know them as well as you do in terms of personalities and things but just from watching them on the on TV, you know, obviously with six, seven players deep, that's that's and that's maybe stretching a bit. Um, you you got to come together, and they, they seem to come together. I don't remember any one particular. You know, you watch the games, and I don't see anybody yelling at any. You know, anybody like you know, looking up in the air and putting their hands up in the air. If somebody threw the ball. You know, they just kind of went on and played and kept playing, and um, they just seemed like a team that. Uh, they had, they knew they had to play together. This is what we got, and this is how we're going to deal with it. And I don't remember any arguments or anybody, you know, any physical confrontations or verbal confrontations or teams just getting down or letting up at any game, uh, as I recall. But um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, this is they were very, I think, very fortunate this year. I mean, obviously, battle to me, obviously, with if he goes out for any of the stretch, then probably you have some problems but they dealt with these other injuries because they had the core you know core group there the core three i would say and then i think by the end of the year uh, obviously dolage the big guy came through and uh, you know they got some uh, you know efforts from a couple guys off the bench there but uh, um no I, I thought the team i didn't see any from i saw disharmony or any uh you know, sign that they weren't playing together as a team. And they knew it's kind of, I think also when you have somebody like battle, it's really not really too many people are going to argue, you know, who should be taking the shots, you know, 
and that makes it a little bit easier. And I think it makes it a lot easier for Coach Beheim. Like I'm sure he said before, these these are my three best players. Why would I? Why am I not going to play them all the time? So I think maybe it was a little bit easier when you have only a certain number of guys you know they can play, and you have a true leader with you know with Frank and. Um, O'Shea is as you know, your main backups kind of thing, but uh, so I think um, I, I, I enjoyed the season and I thought they played as a team. Uh, like you said, I think it could have gone south if something happened to Battle or you know or Frank or O'Shea a little bit. But uh, you know, I think uh, all in all, they had a great year. You know, and, and when we look back on this season and and you know how they played in, in games, I mean, they lost to St. Bonaventure. In overtime by three, they lost to Wake the first time around by two possessions. They lost to Notre Dame at the buzzer. They lost at Virginia by seven in a game they came back from. Went to double overtime in a loss against Florida State. Lost to Georgia Tech by four. Uh, lost to Virginia in just, uh, I mean, there's there's a couple games here that were close. Like the Duke game, they, they outright lost that game. Outright lost Virginia the second time around. Out, outright lost Kansas. And North Carolina, they lost by four at the end. They lost at BC. So we're looking at four games, four or five games that we could say, you know, if we include the ACC game against the against North Carolina, four or five of their 14 losses were double-digit losses where they just lost the game. Outside yeah. of that, you know, they're playing these close games where they're winning by four, losing by four, winning by five, losing by five. I mean, this is a, this is a team, and what I'm trying to say is, through 37 games played this season, I can only pinpoint four or five that Syracuse wasn't in yeah. of third of 37 games. And I think that, you know, if you if I said that statistic to anybody as a prediction going into the year, they would have thought I was crazy. Yeah. And I think also the way they had to play or the way they do play is a lot of, you know, Battle and Howard and O'Shea penetrating and, and getting to the basket or making making a play, which is very very difficult to do. Um, you know that's that's pretty rare that you can have three guys kind of really make a play and and, and that's and that's your offense. And um, you know a lot of teams have you know all sorts of shooters, all sorts of big men who can make plays and, and make some easy baskets, but a lot of that's a, a lot of hard work. To, to stay in these games and the way they play and the way they battle, especially you know in the, in the NCAA tournament, was kind of typical of how they played. But I think one thing about uh, that is they got the help from uh, Dolage and um, and the big guy got better. So in terms of looking forward, um, I think you know, depending on who stays around, I and mean, you probably know better who's coming back and who's not coming back, but. Uh, um, you know, they had to battle in a way that is very difficult to make plays. I, mean, I know if, it, if I was playing, I don't think I ever made a basket, you know, going one-on-one against somebody and then pulling up and making a shot, especially under pressure like these guys have done, you know. Uh, so uh, it, was, it was pretty amazing that uh, how much they accomplished with, uh, with the, the team that they had. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking here with Hal Cohen, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, Hal, like you said, you know, who's staying, who's going – you know, people worry about Tyus Battle, and they worried about O'Shea. Uh, O'Shea said something to me that I thought was pretty profound and, and pretty amazing, and showed a lot of maturity for a young guy. And that's when when I said to him, you know, after the ACC tournament, kind of like, "What's on your mind with 
you know, your future. And I know people are going to ask you, are you staying? Are you going? Like, does that even, does that even come across your mind at all? And, and he said to me, he responded to me, he said, Dan, he goes, you know, I'm not thinking about any of that. And he just kind of laughed. And then, you know, after the Duke game, I said, you know, what can you, you know, what can you say about leadership and Frank and Tyus and kind of just what you took away. And he said, you know, they taught me how to be a leader. They taught me what I needed to know. I came in here as a freshman who was, you know, obviously going to make mistakes and, and not know everything and what's going on. And he's like, I learned so much from them. And now I want to be that for other people. I want to be that leader. Now, after being a freshman myself, I can have these freshmen come in. I can teach them. I can help them. I can try and pay it forward. And I thought that that was profound when everybody's like, oh, is he going in the NBA or not? And I was like, well, him and I just spent a a long amount of time just speaking on leadership and he how excited. I mean, after this Duke loss, which is heartbreaking, he was excited about next year and being able to pay it forward and being and and being able to be the guy that can say, if you guys mess up, I already did that. Here's how I can help you. Yeah. Well, obviously times have changed, you know, obviously when they way back when, uh, you know, you, there was no even wasn't any thought about anybody going to the pros. So you're always looking forward to that next year. And the teams that always really kind of, you know, did the best were the ones that had that senior leadership or junior guys that had played quite a bit their first three years. You know, and yeah, you like that role of being a mentor to the younger guys or showing them the way. And and um, you know, obviously everybody has different experiences, but you know, for me. You know, that, that was for the best years of my life, you know, being around the, the, the to be part of that SU basketball family and doing things together and going on trips, you know, in the summer we, you know, every, I think every four years we're allowed to go somewhere, we went to Italy and, um, had, you know, just, it was just a great experience. Now, it wasn't always good, I mean, in terms of playing time, and it was always up and down, but I think those things help prepare you for life and, you know, the future and, but I think the mentality now, I think, you know, for a kid coming into, you know, high-level Division One basketball is, you know, more can I, you know, what, you know, can I get to the NBA? So I don't know if they're thinking along those lines. But Don, from what you're telling me about O'Shea, it sounds like maybe he's old school, <laughs> yeah. which is nice, which would be nice. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, that those guys that come in and work hard and, become, you know, can – get another year of playing under their belts and, uh, or, you know, or more. And, uh, uh, hopefully it will pay off for them in the, in the future. But fortunately what they, I think seems like they, they draft on potential. So you may never see that person who does a, you know, you know, things three, four years. It's almost like perhaps there's something wrong with you. If you, if you had to stay three years or four years, you know, so, um, I, Obviously, was never in that position to make those decisions, but hopefully, that that, that sounds like your conversation sounds uh, very encouraging for somebody that might come back that wants that responsibility and uh, you know pay back you know some you know the good things that he's had happen to him. So, so I guess we'll we'll see. We'll have to have you investigate further. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and to see what this what this team has done, and that's the thing. I mean, he really does. I mean. These guys care about each other, and, and I think with Tyus, too, you know, it, what what people don't understand when, you know, like five seconds after the game ends, there was a guy that put a message out, and I couldn't help but, you know, normally I, don't re- I, I won't respond to this stuff, just kind of read it, whatever, 
But, you know, I, I cared enough about the situation to say, I'm not trying to respond to, you know, an internet troll. This is not who the guy was. He just asked a question. He said, I can't believe that, that nobody sat down with Tyus Battle, you know, in that press conference and was like, hey, are you leaving? Like, and he said, I can't believe nobody had the balls to do it. And I said to him, I said, it takes the opposite of balls to do that. I said, it takes yeah. somebody that it's, it's the opposite of what I consider to be confidence and professionalism and maturity. I said, this guy's five minutes off of losing a game that meant the world to him and his brothers. And you want to yeah. ask him, hey, what are you going to do now that everything's over and screw everybody and let's move on? And, yeah. you know, I said, you'll never hear that come out of my mouth because I have too much respect for the game, the players, and the unit and just kind of what it's supposed to be. So with Tyus, you know, I responded that way. And I also yeah. said to him, if you ask me three days after the Duke game, where is he going to go? Nobody can answer that question with any truth or any sureness unless unless he, unless he was already like, yeah, I'm gone, it's done, it's over. But I said, for somebody like Tyus who genuinely cares about this team and genuinely cares about the run that they made and whatnot, I said, you know, we can't sit here and say yes, no, or, or maybe so because it's going to come down to, and it's very, very fluid, he may want to test the waters at the combine like he did last year and he may have, he might say, you know what, I want to see how they want me to be better, but I'm not going into this thing and then I'm leaving. And then somebody says, oh my God, we love you. You've done so much amazing things. We think we're, you're going to be a top 15 pick. And then he maybe wasn't going to go, but now he is going to go. Yeah. And that's what people, you know, I, I think it's fluid. You know, if I tell you today that, that Tyus gave me the inkling he's going to go, and then three weeks later he doesn't decide to go, you can't come back guns blazing because the truth of the matter is he might have wanted to go, gone there, and they said, you know what, Tyus, wait another year. We need to see more out of you. And then he says, okay. Or it could be the opposite of him saying, you know, I, I know there's a lot I got to work on. And then he goes and five NBA teams go, well, if you come out this year, you'll be on our you'll be on our radar. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I just don't know enough about that situation. Other though, that if I think about it personally, as you were talking about that, what what would I do? I guess that's what I would do. I would do exactly what he did, or it was I'm sure it's going to do. See how it goes. See, try the uh, combine, just like you said. And if it was me, and um, you know, again, times have changed a bit, and uh, and there was going to be an offer, there, you know, at a certain level, and then. um, then, you know, I guess maybe I would do that myself, you know, back then you can, you didn't, that was not even something you thought about, you know, it wasn't even a, um, a possibility, but, um, if, you know, obviously if he can do well and, uh, I don't know his family situation, if they can help his family and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, uh, you know, in terms of a degree, I think most people would say, you know, I guess you could always finish up later, but I don't know how many, <laughs> I'd be interested to see what that number is. Yeah. Um, if how many kids that actually go to the pros that actually come back and finish their degree, you know, I'd be interesting to see what percentage. I'm, I'm sure it's not very high, but anyway, uh, I think, um, yeah, I think, I think he's got to try. I think he's a great player. I mean, gosh, gosh he's got size. He's got the, he's got the, um, I have someone I know in the, in the NBA who, you know, that's one of the main things they look at is can you, can you score? Can you make a play and can you defend against somebody? That's two huge things. And he's got the size, he's got the speed 
and he certainly can make a play and, and score on his own. And he can. Uh, now that's the thing about defending. I guess maybe one of the things that people always question is, can you, you know, defend if you've always played a two-three zone or a four-one zone? What do we play? Four-one? Is it a four-one? Two-two-three. Seems like a four-one to me. <laughs> yeah. Four guys on the three-point line. Yeah, it's it's it shifts. It, it has. It's a two-three that has nuances of man-to-man, three-two, and and it's it's kind of ever evolved. It's it, it's funny. It, the statement is, if you ever think of the Syracuse 2-3 zone as strictly a 2-3 zone, then you're not paying attention. So what you're saying kind of jokingly but seriously is is true that it's a 4-1, uh, a box and one a 2-1-2. I mean, it, it's a little bit of everything. Well, I'll just give your uh, listeners a historical perspective. So back in 1976 through 80, anyway, as I recall, somebody asked me, he says, you guys always play 2-3 zone? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, no. We never played 2 I, Well, not, I said, we, we didn't play. I mean, we wasn't our primary thing. We, we played man-to-man. but we, And I think maybe where it started was on every out-of-bounds play, he always went, Coach Baham always went 2-3. We, we never played man-to-man out-of-bounds, which makes sense. And I have a daughter who coaches now, and I tell her the same thing, and she, I think, agrees. The worst thing you want is somebody to score. Uh, you know, everybody's got all sorts of plays out of bounds, you know. You know, they spend a lot of time on that stuff. And, and psychologically, it's so, you know, gets you so pumped up. If you off of an out-of-bounds play, you get a nice, easy basket. You know, and so you never want to be able to give up two easy points. And with a 2-3 zone, you usually never, you know, you, most of the time you don't give up a, a point. So... I think that's kind of where it started. Then it kind of evolved from there because we would play. And the reason I know uh, um, we played man-to-man because I, I guarded this one guy. Um, his name is Ricky Reed from uh, Temple. And I think he, um, off of my guarding him, he ended up with like 25 points, 14 assists, you know, 10 rebounds, that type of thing. So I do remember we did play man because he, <laughs> he scored all those points against me. Then I think that's maybe that's why he went into the 2-3 zone. After that defensive effort, so yeah, you know, and 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 it's funny, like you said, when you look back on those things, and when they say, "Did you always play two three zone?" and, and you're like, "No, there were times where we didn't," you know, and you play man to man and and different things that, that you know that that Jim Beheim will put in, but you know, the staff, Adrian Autry, Alan Griffin, Jerry McNamara, Beheim himself, you know, it, it's not a traditional two three zone and. I just shot a video with Katie Kalinske, who's been on the team for seven years and is moving forward, and that'll come out this week. And, and she said, she's like, the zone seven years ago when I came onto the staff is not the same zone that we run now. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's just kind of amazing how, you know, you hear 2-3 zone, but yet it's it's not yeah. just a yeah. traditional textbook zone. I mean, it changes. Yeah, no, I think uh... – you're right. It's, and he's evolved, and the two three has evolved, and uh, so that's a good sign that if your coach is not just stuck on one thing, it's not the same. Like I said, from what we did, but um, and usually the old two three zone in general. If you were a player, you wanted the team to play two three zone if, if you're a shooter, because that was kind of one of the easiest ways to get uh, get it, be able to get a shot. Anybody penetrating and kick it to you from on the wing, you get an open open look, and uh, so um, so obviously he's evolved, and, the, and that whole zone has evolved, and um, and uh, so um, we'll see how it goes this coming year. Hopefully, uh, we get some of these players to stay. I guess one guy's not coming anymore. 
Yeah, you know, and, and that was where I wanted to close, speaking here with Hal Cohen of Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball History. It's, it's, it's strange how, you know, growing up, there was a time where you could come straight out of high school and go to the pros. The last year that you could do that was LeBron James's year, 2003, when Carmelo Anthony decided to come to Syracuse. And LeBron, who was considering Ohio State, ended up coming straight out of high school. And, you know, LeBron James and Sean Kemp and Kobe Bryant, you know, there's guys that did it and did it to success. And there's so many guys that did it that nobody ever talks about. And, you know, that's how it was. You know, you can come get your education or you could go straight out of high school. Then they changed it to the one and done rule. All you have to do is come to college for two semesters. You don't have a, you don't have to care a lick about athletics. Do the bare minimum to get by. Get a free education that you'll probably never finish. And then see you later and have a great day. And and so that was what we have gotten to. Then the G League, which used to be called the D League, but now it's Gatorade, so it's named after its sponsor. The NBA G League said, well, hey, guys, here's a fun thing. You can't technically go straight from high school to the pros, but there's a loophole with us in the G League that if you're 18 years old, you can sign on the dotted line in September and then be in the G League draft in October and come play for us for a year. No NBA team will have your rights, but you will get paid and you'll lose your amateur status and can't go back to college and play basketball. And then in the following year, after playing one year in the G League, you can go to the NBA draft, then they can pay you more money, then you can have your rights owned by whatever team. So there's this nice little loophole of you can play in the G League for a year, or you can play overseas for a year, and as long as you're 18 years old and you've spent a year playing professional ball, you can apply for the NBA draft. And yeah. Darius Baisley took advantage of it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm probably like many people. I, I had never heard of that, that situation, and I don't know who found that or knew that. or I don't know, was that in play before this year, or is that something that, that was just kind of hidden in there? Well, I know that overseas, like with LeVar Ball's kids, you can go overseas and come back. But the G League thing, this is this is an unprecedented move by Darius Baisley that that he made this jump, and now they now that he's opened the floodgates, there's an expectation that a lot of guys will follow suit with him. Yeah, I guess you know that makes more. I mean, you know, I guess you know, still 18 years old, you're still uh, at least at least I was, you know. uh, you know, afraid to go away from home too far, you know, so going over to Europe and something like that for a year probably wouldn't, for me, wouldn't have been too appealing. Um, but, you know, if it's something here in the United States, your family can get to the games, be around family and that thing. That sounds like something that people were going to do. I, uh, um, you know, it's a good, uh, well, it seems like it would be, you'd be playing against other professional players or just below the level of the NBA or some of these guys are on those, I know they have these two-way things where they're, up, you know Tyler Cavanaugh, you know, who from Syracuse, JG James Oldwood player, was on a two-way uh, contract with Erie, uh, very with the team Bayhawks or something they're called. Um, but then he ended up signing with the team for two years. You know, uh, office performance that he had he had a great year this year. So um, yeah, I think it, when the word gets out, I think that's that's a, a likelihood that that may happen quite a bit. Yeah, it's it's you know. It's where we're sitting right now is that Darius Baisley is not coming to Syracuse. But for the and I said for the people that are that are terrified, you know, set the fire and oh my god, it's all over. You know, people didn't expect a team with five and a half, six players to even get to the tournament and they got to the sweet sixteen. 
next year yeah. without yeah. Darius Baisley, if everybody stays and everybody comes in, next season's team, 2018-19, is going to have 10 players with Elijah Hughes, yeah. who sat out for a year. You got Pascal and Brahma coming back. You have Marek and O'Shea coming back. That's five. Then you have Frank and, let's say, Tyus. That's seven. Then you go from there and you have Jalen Carey and you have Buddy Beheim coming in. And so, I mean, you're looking at a team that already has all of this to come on to, you know, to come on to and be a part of, you know, and Beheim doesn't go that deep. He's not going to go, you know, he doesn't typically go nine or ten guys, but he'll have the opportunity to do so next season when you look at everything that can be back on this team. And, And like I said, you know, going down the line, Frank Howard will be a senior. Pascal will be a redshirt senior. Battle will be a junior. Brahma will be a sophomore. O'Shea will be a sophomore. Howard Washington Jr. will be a sophomore. Marek Dolajai will be a sophomore. Elijah Hughes will have three seasons left, so technically will be a sophomore. And then Buddy and Jalen, you have 10 players with depth at every position without Darius Baisley. And they didn't have depth pretty much anywhere this year. So, you know, when people kind of freak out that Darius isn't coming, so... You know, it's going to be the demise of Syracuse. I would venture to say those people maybe didn't watch this season. Yeah, no, I agree. And then, well, I think, I mean, to me, it would be obviously to everybody, the key would be battle. Um, you know, if he comes back, well, I mean, I'd be, I think, a top five team. If they, if he comes back in the way that uh, Chuku and um, and um, those I really improved over the last, you know, few games here, I mean, the. Uh, uh, this could be a very, very unbelievable team. And I saw uh, Coach Beheim's son play in high school, and, and he was—he's a very, very good player. So he—he he can shoot it. He's—but he knows the game. And so I don't, I'm not sure about these other players. So I'm sure they're all pretty, very good. But uh, no, I agree with you. And uh, and uh, I think it looks very exciting. Now, if Battle doesn't come, doesn't stay, then I, um, I still think it could be very, very good. And somebody will just have to pick up that ability to score and maybe that's uh you know uh, O'Shea you know picking up that the scoring and and so I think there's still going to be I was still saying a top 10 team to me you know yeah and and, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it yeah I understand and you know I think that this team definitely has you know it, it, when they're counted out for whatever reason I don't know if this happened with you back in the back in the day as well Hal <laughs> but when Syracuse is counted out they seem to play better so when fans are like, oh, we're not ranked in the top 25, we're not number one, why aren't we number five, why are we number ten, why is Duke ahead of us? I always tell people, I'm like, listen, you want to be disrespected, you want to have that chip on your shoulder because Syracuse always seems to play better when people count them out. So when I see them not ranked or ranked lower than they should be and whatnot, I tell people all the time, I'm listening, 10 seed, 11 seed, 3 seed, doesn't matter. Let Syracuse be the team that people don't have high expectations of because that's when they make everybody pay for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess going, if you want historic perspective, yeah, I mean, um, you know, we didn't ever, we never played, you know, every year we would play, you know, three or four teams in the top 25, let's say. And we were more local, you know, we'd play St. Bonaventure and, and Canisius and Siena and, and a lot of those those teams. So you never had the uh, day-to-day ability to play a top 25 team to actually get, you know what I mean, to, if you, if you weren't in the top 25, you had, we have, you know, five opportunities in a, in a couple of weeks' time, you know, play a Duke or play North Carolina, you knock off one of them and you move right up. Um, so 
or if you were with us, if you won a big game, you know, then uh, uh, if you won a big game, then, uh, um, you know, you were there, going to stay there for a while because you weren't going to play another top team, you know, for a while. So, uh, so that's, uh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, for just, you know, just to look at this season and kind of where everything was and, and, and if you had ever dealt with that. But like you said, you know, you didn't play a lot of teams outside of that. So, you know, in order to get up the rankings, you didn't necessarily have those opportunities. But, you know, with Syracuse this year, I find it funny that, you know, they play up against the Buffaloes and the St. Bonnies and, and, and this, that, and the other. And Buffalo and St. Bonaventure and Syracuse, all you know, they, they single-handedly – bumped out the Pac-12. They took the Pac-12 out of the tournament as three upstate New York schools. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that that was profound, but it just kind of goes to show you that you can't you can't just have this mentality of, you know, this conference is better than this conference because I said so or because they're yeah. in the Autonomous Five. I mean, St. Bonaventure is trending up. Buffalo is trending up. And if Syracuse yeah. is going to continue to play them every year, you know, I don't. I I think that those games are going to be more exciting than people showing up to the dome, grabbing a beer and some popcorn, and saying, "Okay, we're going to win this one by 40. No, I, uh, that's a, good, a great point. Is those teams you were, th- you know, when we, you know, beat these teams earlier on, or you know, had great games against them. You know, people were saying, "Well, you know, they're not playing the level of the company." But now they, those other teams are very good, and as, you know, as it showed by, by the end of the season, that some of these games that you thought were, you know. Not important or important. Um, really, we're much better than, than people had thought. And, and then you look at if you look back at the whole season, now I think, wow, you know, like you said, there was only four games, basically four or five games, basically where you're out, you're out of the game. And and at this level, you know, that, that's that's really good. And again, I'm with this crew coming in, and hopefully, uh, battle stays for another year. That be that would be unbelievable. And I think the X factor has always been this zone, you know. Uh, that people, you know, they can win games against people, especially like in the NCAA tournament if they haven't played against it quite a bit and aren't comfortable with it. Now, the downside to that, if Duke starts playing it and every other team, <laughs> and now all of a sudden it becomes a, a staple of everybody's defense now because uh, it's the thing to do, you know. I think when one team does it, everybody's kind of just a, it's a kind of a fluke thing. But now if Duke does it and now somebody else starts doing it, so now you're like if you're in the ACC, and all of a sudden you're playing Syracuse twice or Duke twice, and somebody, two or three other teams do it. So now you're going to be starting from day one uh, as a as a team playing against Syracuse, practicing against that. And I know it's not the same as obviously uh, when it's live like that, but if you practice long enough, if you if you're from uh, whatever the season starts now, uh, October something, but. Um, if you, the other teams start practicing day one, at least 10 minutes or whatever time it takes for, for, for practice against that, knowing you're not even going to play them for another three months, um, then that's then that maybe changes things a little bit. So, but out of conference, teams aren't going to be, aren't going to be doing, unless they start playing zone as well, but that may take a little longer. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what teams start to do as, you know, obviously Duke has switched to that zone and now Duke is, is getting some, you know, getting some conversation and some accolades and whatnot for what they're yeah. trying to do. So, with that being said, that coming from Hal Cohen, Hal, you can tell Sonny that I, I let you, I let you be the man of the hour. So you can let wow. him know that I, 
I put you there, but as always, sir, I appreciate you being a part of the show. I hope to get to meet you in person someday. We've we've had these great conversations on the phone, so hopefully we can sit down and and you know enjoy a cup of coffee or something. But as always, I, I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, because there's a couple of third and fourth grade games I got to tell you about that were you know really good. I got you know got to really break it down, and go back in time. And... <laughs> yeah, we. I look forward to meeting you sometime. Absolutely, hell, I look forward to talking right. with you. Have a good day. See ya. Take care. That coming from Hal Cohen once again, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum and a big part of the show here in the second hour. We'll take a step aside. We'll come back in just a moment to speak on the women's Final Four and championship game and the men's Final Four and upcoming championship game. We're jumping back in the tourney for all those broken brackets everywhere and for everybody that thought that nobody could win the women's tournament except for UConn. Well, somebody had something to say about that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalwear, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. We're at that part of the morning menu for this morning, Monday, April 2nd, to discuss the men's and women's Final Four and and for the women, the championship game in Columbus. Crazy. Crazy, amazing story of Notre Dame coming from Arike Agumbawale. And I I mean, to tell the story, you have to hear it for me to tell it. So let's listen in to Arike Agumbawale and what she did in both of these games in the Final Four. We'll start with the overtime game against UConn that Notre Dame won 91-89. to for a trip to the national championship. Ogumbawale. Good! 
Arike Agumbawale gets the shots, hits that jumper against UConn, the Untouchables, the team that had won 36 games without a loss, the only loss that they had this season to Notre Dame in the Final Four to go 36-1, and and then Arike Agumbawale was not done. She faced off with her team against Mississippi State, and in regulation... It was 58-58 with just a few seconds to go. Arike Agumbawale, the name that you have to remember, a name that you can never forget, a name that Mississippi State's not going to forget, and UConn's not going to forget, Arike Agumbawale, for everything that she did in this tournament, but not just her, Notre Dame as a whole, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, whose men's team had to deal with the loss of Bonzi Colson for 15 games inside of the ACC. They went 7-8 and eight during that time, not too shabby at all. And then after that, they lose them again. They're in the NIT, and they don't win this thing. They get bumped out of the NIT, didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. On the women's side of things, they got a number one seed. They had a matchup with UConn, and everybody... From year to year, the conversation is, well, if you want people to watch women's basketball, then there has to be teams that are better than UConn. And if you wanted this, and, you know, everybody thinks UConn's going to win, and it makes it not fun. So if you're not a UConn fan, then why are you watching? Well, it's seasons like this that, that, you know, hopefully bring some of those people in. But here's the other thing. If UConn's winning every year, that's, I mean, that's a notice to all the other teams around the country that Gino Ariema and his entire staff recruit better than anybody and do what they got to do to get to, you know, they get who they have to get. They bring in some great players and they've made a great name for themselves. That's not to their detriment. You know what I mean? It's, it's not something that's wrong that they do. It's not something that should be against, you know, women's college basketball. It's just Gino Ariema and his staff are amazing. The players are amazing. Brianna Stewart, who came from, came from CNS, the North Stars, she obviously was amazing for that team as well. And countless girls from across the country that turned into young women that went there and did amazing things and are now playing overseas or playing for the WNBA or wherever else in their professional lives doing great things for the community and for the country and so on and so forth. You know, you can't you can't knock them for what they're doing and you can't be mad at UConn. But some people say that, you know, if you want me to watch the girls game, I need to see somebody else win. Well, hello? Arike Agumbawale made one of the most historic shots ever in college basketball for women's basketball against UConn, against the Dynasty, against the Untouchables. Then, in the next game against Mississippi State, she does it again. So they go to overtime with UConn, and that last, that shot that had whatever, you know, a second left or whatever it may be, that shot that was made in overtime by Arike Agumbawale, gave them the victory over UConn, and then you got a tie game that looks like it's going into overtime, and she prevents overtime by hitting an off-balance crazy shot with a defender guarding her all the way down the three-point line. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 
You talk about March Madness and craziness and excitement. And eh, how do you get any more? How do you get more madness than UConn not winning the national championship, not making it to the title game, and Arike Agumbawale being a household name right now? And the thing that I think is amazing is that her name in uh, in in her father's native Nigerian language, her name means the first name Arike means something that you see and you cherish. And how in the heck do you not look at Arike Agumbawale and not see her and cherish her for everything that she did? Her name means something that you see and you cherish. Many people saw her shots the last couple games, and many people cherish those shots. And that is the beauty of how things just seem to line up and connect. And they all just seem to come together, right? Talked about a little bit earlier in the show, people believe in God, they don't believe in God. Well, the crazy thing is, you get named something you see and you cherish, and then you become something you see and you cherish. How is that a coincidence? I call those God incidences, but that's just me. So, I mean, just an, an amazing, 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 amazing tournament for Notre Dame. And the run that they made and the things that they did and and the team in its entirety, not just Arike Agumbawale, but wow, those shots, you know, they, they went through, they had a bunch of games that they had to win to get to where they were. They had to take down 16-seeded CS Northridge. Then they had to take down 9-seeded Villanova, a fourth-seeded Texas A&M, second-seeded Oregon. And then after getting outside of their bracket, going to the Final Four and taking down number one UConn and number one Mississippi State back-to-back in just within a couple days' time. This Notre Dame team, just uh, amazing everything that they did. They lost their last game to Louisville before they went into the tournament. In the ACC Women's Tournament finale, it was Notre Dame and Louisville. So they lost in the ACC Championship game and then went on to win the National Championship, which, I mean, bananas. And when you look at it, Fourteen wins before they lost to Louisville in that in that ACC championship game. Fourteen straight wins, fourteen straight wins. Then that loss in the championship of the ACC, and then six straight victories to end out the season. They had a bunch of runs this season. They had runs of fourteen straight. They had a run of eight straight. They started off the season with thirteen straight. So, I mean, or pardon me, he started off the season with seven straight. I was including the uh, the postseason there. So they had a 7-0 run to start the season, lost a game. 8-0 run, lost a game. 14-0 run, lost a game. 6-0 run to end the season. Big time runs, nothing bigger than going through what they went through with CS Northridge, Villanova, Texas A&M, Oregon, UConn, and Mississippi State to hoist the national championship. If this makes anybody excited about what's to come, listen, UConn did a lot of great things. They won four championships in all four seasons with Brianna Stewart. But since then, you know, Mississippi State, they've been making things interesting. Notre Dame's been making things interesting. You know, Pat Summon in Tennessee and Everything that's been the history of Tennessee. I mean, Lord, I, I never met Pat Summit, but I hope I hope to to God to meet her in the pearly gates someday, up on a cloud, and give her a giant hug 
for everything she did for basketball. Not women's basketball, but basketball in general. I mean, it, it, this is this has just been amazing. So for everybody that's having UConn fatigue, wow. You know, hopefully you are watching the national championship and Syracuse a couple seasons ago, never been to a Sweet 16, made it. Elite Eight, never been there, made it. Final Four, never been there, made it. Championship game, never been there, made it. Did it all in one year. Did it all in one season under Coach Q. No Sweet 16, no Elite Eight, no Final Four, no championship game. Did it all in one year. Played up against UConn. You know, and, and it's just, I think that women's basketball, UConn, listen, they're a dynasty, but I think women's basketball is getting so much more interesting here and now for the people that are complaining like there's nobody but UConn. I feel like that's changing. You know, Notre Dame's been relevant for a while, but, you know, look at what they're doing right now and look at the fact that Arike Agumbawale, she still has more time there. And then, you know, you look at Syracuse, what Syracuse has done. You look at what Mississippi State. Mississippi State was amazing and a ton of fun to watch last year. So, I mean, for me, it's just it's just getting better. You know, women's basketball is just getting better competition-wise. Competition-wise, this is just getting really exciting. And, and it's, it's just, it is. It's a whole lot of fun. So if you're not watching it, you need to get on it. You need to start watching it. You need to be a part of this thing. And, you know, don't let this thing pass you by. I think this is great. I think it's wonderful. So I'm really excited about what's to come for women's basketball. And Arike Agumbawale, I want to give you a personal congratulations from me on making that one. Not not one, but two. But two game-winning shots. Not one, but two game-winning shots back-to-back within three days' time. Wow. I would venture to say that the way you feel today, that is something special and that is something to take with you for the rest of your life and feel it and feel it again and feel it one more time and just just appreciate the heck out of that moment. So God bless and congratulations to you for being one amazing, amazing story that you can tell for the rest of your life. Your loved ones can tell, you know, and, and you know, hopefully your kids and your grandkids someday can tell. I'll tell it. You know, and I'm excited. I'm already excited for next season for women's basketball because if this is how it's going to be, and Syracuse is relevant, Notre Dame is relevant. You know, UConn's going to keep being relevant. Mississippi State has proven that they weren't a fluke from last year. Then I'm I'm in it. You know what I mean? I'm in it to win it, and I'm watching, and I'm excited, and and you know, like I said, the come up from Mississippi State and the and the come up from Notre Dame. You know, this is this is just making the game so much more fun. So if you're not watching, you better start watching. And if you are watching, you got to continue watching. And, you know, to all, all the Notre Dame fans out there that believe they could fly, congratulations to you and congratulations on a, on an amazing season. And to Arike Gumbawale, congratulations to you and everything that you did this season to make it so amazing and so special and just so great for your fan base. We'll take a step aside here for a fast break. We'll come back to speak on the men's side of things. In just a moment, Arike Agumbawale, one of my favorite names to say, and probably forever from here on out. It's like, who didn't envy that announcer that got to call the UConn-Notre Dame game and the Notre Dame-Mississippi State game? Amazing. Let's take a step aside. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. 
with Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory. Find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens... They're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to have you here on the broadcast and be a part of the show, as always, every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Very much appreciate you being a part of the show, and thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time and here on the show to wrap up today we talked about the women's final four now it's time to look at the men's final four side of things I want to take a look at this right here Dave Paziak good friend of mine and, and always a part of the show he said in honor of today's national championship game a flashback to my all-time favorite final four moment 15 years ago my former player Tyrone Albright cut down the nets with Cuse men's basketball so just amazing, amazing story. Dave Paziak had a former player, Tyrone Albright, who played with Syracuse and was a walk-on on the team and got to cut down the nets with the Syracuse Orange. What a phenomenal moment for Dave Paziak, and we're going to have to get him on the show to talk about that in just a little bit here uh, coming up this week, maybe even tomorrow. So we'll have to make that happen. On the men's side of things for the Final Four, it has been... Very, very interesting. Very exciting. You know, NCAA, when we look back at NCAA tournament champions by year and just look at what people have done. I mean, Loyola of Chicago, people saying, oh, you know, they've never won. Totally untrue. You know, Loyola of Chicago, how could they have ever won a championship? They're not relevant, yada, 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 yada. They did win one in 1963. Loyola of Chicago won the championship over Cincinnati, 60-58 to in overtime. It was the only other time that they made it to the Final Four, and then after that, it was UCLA crazy. After Loyola won, and, and mind you, Loyola beat Cincinnati that was a two-time champion back-to-back. 
Cincinnati beat Ohio State in 61. Cincinnati beat Ohio State in 62. And then Loyola dethroned them in 63 in overtime, 60 to 58. Then it was the run of UCLA with John Wooden. They won in 64, 65, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, and 75 before everything started to change after that. And then we fast forward to where we are today and just looking at the teams that have won and and just what they've done. You know, Villanova got one in 2016. They're trying to get another one. They're trying to get two in the last three seasons, which is awesome and amazing. And then, you know, you look at the other side of things with Michigan and, you know, Michigan with John Beeline, this is this would be John Beeline's first opportunity with Michigan to hoist that national championship. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't say it's, that'll be their first opportunity because Loyola, or pardon me, Loyola, Louisville played up against Michigan State in 2013 in the championship game that never existed. So it depends on what you believe. If you believe that the NCAA can erase history, well then, this is the first time that John Beeline had an opportunity. Technically, it's the second time that he's been in the national championship with Michigan with an opportunity to hoist the trophy, which would be a pretty amazing feat for him. In 1989, Michigan defeated Seton Hall 80-79 to in overtime. So Michigan has hoisted that trophy, but it has been a while. Back in 1989, folks, that's almost 30 years ago, 29 years ago, and now they got a chance to do it again after losing in 2013. And it's really funny how the NCAA says that Louisville has vacated their championship and it doesn't exist in 2013 when they defeated Michigan. Yet if you go on NCAA.com, they still have Louisville winning the national championship. So the NCAA has gone against themselves. I find that to be kind of interesting here. Oh, it's got an asterisk. Depends on where you go. This one has an asterisk on it. So I just found that funny that they're like, oh, no, 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 no. That national championship has been erased from history. And then you go on the website and you're like, well, it's still there. Still there. Could be given back at any time. So, you know, but Phil, I mean, you look at Michigan, 1989 is the last time they won it. I mean, 1989, they won a national championship before John Beeline was the head coach of the team. They lost in 2013. Villanova won two years ago in 2016. They're trying to win two in three years. Michigan's trying to win their first one in 29 years. And how did they get there? I'm glad you asked. This is how both teams got to where they are today. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora, proud to bring this to you and let you know what's been going down in this NCAA tournament. Let's take a look at the brackets and how we got to where we stand today. And yes, I had Villanova in this championship game and I picked the wrong team. So so I picked... I picked uh, I picked Virginia, and obviously Virginia is not going to be there. But how did they get there? Loyola of Chicago going up against Michigan. Loyola had a big time drought, had a bunch of minutes where they didn't score any points, and that obviously is going to affect you. And they lose by twelve in this game. Valiant effort, heartbreaking, very sad. So many fans that that they brought together, you know, uh, through this whole thing. Fans that they didn't necessarily have, and fans that they have now. As they move forward, you know, I mean, Loyola is going to move out of this thing with national recognition, national support. Sister Jean is a national treasure. So they got a lot out of this. 
And they made it to their first Final Four since 1963, folks. Since 1963, their first Final Four. Do you know how many years that is? It's 55 years. 55 years between Final Fours for Loyola Chicago. And they made it through a bracket that featured Cincinnati, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Virginia. The overall number one seed. So they fall to Michigan. Michigan, up and down, right? Michigan wins over Montana after Montana started off good. Then they beat Houston 64-63. to Then they go on to play Texas A&M, who had spanked North Carolina. Texas A&M beat North Carolina by 21. And then they meet Michigan. Michigan beats them by 27. So it's like they're coming off of a 21-point victory over the reigning national champion, North Carolina. Then they get Michigan in the next round, speaking of Texas A&M. Texas and, and Texas A&M gets Texas A&M'd by Michigan. Then they go on to play Florida State. They beat Florida State in a very close game, 58-54. Take care of business to get to the national championship. And I, you know, I had some people that were talking to me about this going into this thing that had them. You know, they had them. They had Michigan winning it all. They had Michigan getting to the Final Four, if not Michigan winning it all. And props to you guys that, you know, to the to the ladies and gentlemen that believed in Michigan and believed in what Michigan could do from way back, you know, before this tournament even started. Shout out to you because you're extremely smart, you know. And, and I didn't think I, – I thought Michigan had a shot, but, you know, I thought Gonzaga was going to make things interesting for them. So, you know, obviously – that didn't happen, and Michigan moved on. And John Beeline, you know, you speak on a, a three seed getting to the national championship. Syracuse did that back in 2003, and they won the whole thing. And Michigan's got an opportunity in a case that they could win this whole thing. And then you look at Villanova playing up against Kansas in the Final Four, and Kansas squeaked by. Kansas won by four, won by four, won by four. That's how they got to the, turn- the, to the uh, tournament's Final Four. They beat Penn, the 16 seed. Then they win by four over Seton Hall, four over Clemson, four over Duke in OT to get to where they are, gutting it out. Villanova was like, spank ya. You know, they won their first game by 25. They won their next game by 23. They won their next game by 12. They won their next game by 12. So, I mean, they were just winning by double digits, just running through by double digits. No two-possession game. They're just making it happen, making it happen. And Villanova gets into the Final Four as a number one seed. And so you have two ones, you have an 11 and a three, and now you have Michigan Michigan against Villanova for the national championship. John Beeline, the former head coach of the LeMoyne Dolphins here in Central New York, D2, and his son, the current coach, Pat Beeline, brought him so far this year. Amazing, amazing run by, by Pat Beeline. And then John Beeline, with everything he did, he used his time at LeMoyne to catapult him into a job that eventually turned into Michigan. And then you look at Pat Beeline and what he's going to propel into after his run at LeMoyne. So I feel like if LeMoyne called me up to be a head coach and I knew what I was doing, pretty good place to build a reputation and a name for yourself on a hopeful launch of your career. John Beeline's playing in the national championship and his son, his son will have, he'll have opportunities coming forward from here. I'll tell you that much. So, you know, just just really, you know, an amazing story for the Beelines. And on the other side with Jay Wright, speak on relevance. You know, Jay Wright and, and being, being somebody who is relevant in the sport. You know, I am just, 
I, I, I look at I look at what Jay Wright has done in his time, and he has just been absolutely amazing because he was relevant. And then people, I feel like, kind of forgot about Jay Wright, you know. And then when you saw the disbanding of the Big East and, and what we know the Big East to have been. And you're like, okay, well, you know, what's it going to be now? And there's no UConn, there's no Syracuse, there's no Louisville, there's no Pittsburgh, there's no Notre Dame. I mean, we look at the coaching history of Jay Wright. He started at Hofstra here in New York, 94, 95, all the way through to 2000, 2001. Went to the NCAA tournament, were the regular season champions of the America East, and were the conference tournament champions both years back-to-back. So his last two years at Hofstra... 99, 2000, 2000, 2001. Those two years, they made the NCAA tournament both years, regular season champions both years, conference tournament champions both years. That catapults him to Villanova. He starts at Villanova in 2001, 2002. They get 19 wins, 15 wins, 18 wins. In his fourth season with Villanova, they go to the NCAA tournament. Fifth season, they go to the NCAA tournament, the regular season champions in the Big East. Sixth season, NCAA. Seventh, NCAA. 8th NCAA Final Four, ninth NCAA, 10th NCAA. His 11th season with Villanova, they're 13-19. They don't make it to the tournament. 12th season, tournament, 13th tournament, regular season champions. 14th season, NCAA tournament, regular season champion, conference tournament champion. 15th season, NCAA tournament, regular season champion, NCAA champion, Got to the Final Four before that amazing season for them. 19th seed. I mean, you're just going through this whole thing, just what he has done and and how amazing he has been in his time period with this team. So, you know, you look at 17 seasons. I said 19th. That was a mistake. 17 seasons with Villanova, and he has made the NCAA tournament the majority of the time. 17 seasons, he's made the NCAA tournament 13 times. 13 times in 17 seasons. And if you take out those first three years of him building, he's made it in 13 of the last 14 seasons. 13 of the last 14. Final four twice in the last three years. NCAA champion two years ago, trying to be NCAA champion this year. Conference tournament champion, a regular season champion at Villanova in the Big East multiple times. I mean, we're looking at Jay, the resurgence of Jay Wright. He never really went anywhere, but it's like Jay Wright made it to the tournament, made it to the tournament, made it to the tournament, made it to the Final Four, made it to the tournament, made it to the tournament, made it to the tournament. And then there's been like this ramp up of what they've done in the Big East. And I'll tell you something, I was always a Big East fan. And I loved Syracuse, UConn, Pittsburgh, Villanova, Providence, Georgetown, all of that being together. Best conference in basketball, hands down. In order for the ACC to become the best conference in basketball, they had to take half of the Big, e- the Big East to do so. ACC is eight ACC, seven former Big East schools. It's literally half and half because the Big East was the best. Well, now I'm going to tell you this right now. I love the ACC. The Big East, I love them too. They are one of the best conferences in basketball, Division One men's, that is not in the Autonomous Five or the Power Conferences and all that jargon. They're one of the best out there. They were the only conference to have two number one seeds in this tournament, Xavier and Villanova. 
and Villanova's relevance, Seton Hall in the tournament, and what Seton Hall can do, and what Creighton can do. By the way, Creighton has a great place where they play, that Omaha Convention Center, CenturyLink, amazing. So, very professional. So, you know, I mean, you look at the teams that are inside of the Big East right now, and how do you how do you look at the Big East and not find respect and appreciation for what the Big East has become? I mean, you, you might be sad that it's not the old Big East, but if you're not watching the Big East, you're insane. If you're not watching Big East basketball, Butler, relevant. Creighton, relevant. Georgetown, working to be relevant with Patrick Ewing. Marquette, relevancy and working toward that. Providence is getting more relevance. Seton Hall, relevant. Villanova, relevant. Xavier, relevant. There's only two teams that are really fighting to get out of the basement. St. John's and DePaul. And they were doing that when it was the old Big East. But Butler came in, was relevant. Creighton came in, was relevant. Xavier came in, was relevant. Marquette came in and built to relevancy with Buzz Williams and now moving on from there. Georgetown's getting back to that moment. Providence is still a pain in the butt. Seton Hall is still a pain in the butt. Almost took down Kansas. And Villanova. I mean, Jay Wright never went out of our out of our eyesight. But damn it if he didn't become a better coach and kind of like fine wine just getting better with time. He's been great. And and I I don't I mean you can say what you want to say and I know Syracuse fans loathe Jay Wright because Jay Wright's winning games and doing this that and the other thing. Jay Wright phenomenal phenomenal coach and you have to whether you like Villanova or not like him or not, if you're a diehard Syracuse fan and you'll never cheer for Villanova, you still have to say respect. You still have to say respect where it's due. And respect is 100% going Jay Wright's way as they fight for the national championship. I'll take a step aside here very quick to wrap up the show. We've gone over past 11 today, but that's because I love you. So we'll take a step aside here, and I'll tell you who I think is going to win the national championship in just a moment. This is a wake-up call fast break. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue, in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or a wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. 
The Pennant Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Pennant Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn and Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you, as always, every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and I thank you for being a part of the show. If you have not become a member, the time to do so, do so is today. Make sure that you become a member on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. That will give you the opportunity to chat live with me inside of the chat room every single time the show is live. and also give you an opportunity to connect with the show through your email every single time we go live. You'll be emailed and all you have to do is click on your email and click to listen. Simple as that. Click on the email, click to listen, and you are into the show. So make sure that you do that and do that today. You can also find everything on wakeupcalldt.com. If you go to the hub of all things Wake Up Call, you will find on wakeupcalldt.com the ticker at the top of the page, just like you'd see bottom line running through on the TV. It is a ticker that gives information that we update weekly here and just lets you know what's going on. And then you can listen live to the live broadcast with the dates and the times and everything right there for you. You can listen live to the live feed on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. And then under that, you can hear the entire Wake Up Call archive from July 2012 all the way to now and counting. There's the RSS feed, the show app powered by Podbean, and the podcast on iTunes. They're all available on wakeupcalldt.com. We're now on TuneIn Radio, so we're going to add that as well. And then you can see all the companies we're proud to work with and have as members of our team. The last 10 broadcasts that we've loaded to the app are available under What's Happening, and you can download on the App Store and the Google Play Store. You can see the brackets, and then you have quick links right on the bottom of the page to Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, fantasy football, the American Athletic Conference, the ACC, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, because those are some of the main things that we do here. And then you can see Who's DT, Central New York tab has all the companies that we work with, Show Archive, Cuse has basketball, football, and Syracuse FC. Right now is our newspaper, our online newspaper, with over 500 articles. ACC Central, the American Hub, Tourney Central, On the Prowl for the Jaguars, Fantasy Football, so much for you to involve yourselves with. Pages upon pages, content upon content, all on wakeupcalldt.com, so bookmark it today. And I promised you, after that fast break, that I would tell you who I think is going to win the national championship. Well, I was asked a few games into the season, I think it was like three weeks into the season, somebody said to me, I forgot who it was, but but uh, a gentleman came up to me and said, who do you think right now in this moment could win the national championship? And it was it was early, you know, this was this was <laughs> this was early. And I was like, wow, okay, and I got to think about this. 
So he said, who do you think is going to win the national championship? It might have been a little bit later than three weeks into the season. He said, who do you think is going to win? And I said, well, there's two teams that come to mind. I can't pick one of them. I said, so if, if I had to choose right now, feet to the fire, I would say the two teams are the best possibility of or with the best opportunity for me, in my opinion, of winning the national championship. I'm going to say Villanova and Virginia. Now, who would have thought that Virginia was going to lose to UMBC? We all know they struggle to score points and they have off nights and their off nights are ugly because they could score like 50, 50 points and, you know, a lot of teams can score more than that. But that was a, you know, that was credit to UMBC. They killed it. I'm not taking anything away from UMBC. They went to work. And Virginia got bumped out, which broke a lot of brackets for people, affected mine. But I said at the beginning of the season, the two teams that I thought had the best, in my opinion, the best chance, prediction-wise, of winning the national championship for 2018, I said Virginia and Villanova. And you know I'm a man of my word. And if John Beeline, win, Beeline wins, I'm not going to be mad at you because I respect John Beeline and I like John Beeline and I feel that John Beeline's down to earth. I think he's a fun coach. I love his connection to Central New York. But as a broadcaster and as someone who will stick to my guns, I said Virginia and Villanova and Villanova helped keep my prediction alive. If they had both lost, that would have stunk for me. So I'm going to go with Villanova. Jay Wright is building a little mini dynasty right now that could get bigger and bigger. Like I said, he's been with the team for 17 seasons, and yet people kind of forgot about Villanova. And then two years ago, they won the national championship over North Carolina, and then North Carolina came back the next year and won it over Gonzaga. And now North Carolina is not in, but Villanova is, and Villanova's hungry. So, you know, Jay Wright, I mean, he just, he's a coach that's been around for such a long time. He's been around since the 90s with Hofstra, like I said, but he's relevant again. And it's not easy for a coach to come out of the spotlight and jump back into it, to not be there and then be there again. But he's done it. He's figured it out. Jay Wright is one of the hottest coaches right now. One of the best coaches in college basketball. He's winning his conference tournament championship in the Big East. He's winning the regular season championship in the Big East. And the Big East is a pain in the butt to play. They're either making it to the conference tournament championship or making it and winning it. They're not sitting and watching it. And to make it to the Final Four and win the national championship a couple years ago and then come back this year, and you can argue that out of all 68 teams in the tournament, they're the ones that just produced the best. I mean, what they did to get here, it was like they're supposed to win, and they did every game by double digits. Michigan didn't do that every game. Kansas didn't do that every game. Loyola didn't do that every game. Duke didn't do that every game. You know, Kentucky didn't do that every game. Arizona didn't do it at all. Arizona State didn't do it at all. UCLA didn't do it at all. North Carolina got banged out. They got bumped right out of this thing. So, you can argue that Villanova is the strongest team this year in the tournament. And like I said, I felt something with them and I felt something with Virginia. I said either one of these teams could win the national championship feet to the fire if I have to choose during the season. So feet to the fire this morning on April 2nd on the day of the championship. I said that Jay Wright and Villanova could get here. So let's see if they prove me right. Villanova, I'm picking the Wildcats to win a very close game in this one. I don't think this is necessarily... Going to be a crazy game. I mean, it could go either way. I don't think it's going to be a 50s game because that's not Villanova. 
So I think if Michigan plays down there, they might get they might lose by 30. So I don't think it's going to be that type of game. I think that this game could go into overtime. And I think I'm going to say I'm going to say Villanova 78, Michigan 74. Let me know what you think. I'm going to put up a post on Twitter at CallDT right now, and you can vote in it at C-A-L-L-D-T. Find me on Facebook at WakeUpCallDT and on Instagram at WakeUpCall underscore DT. You've all been amazing, and I can't wait to talk to you tomorrow morning about the championship game. So come back here to the airwaves Tuesday, April 3rd, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time right here on MixLR.com backslash DT. And if you forgot anything I said this morning, go to WakeUpCallDT.com and you will find Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, the RSS feed, the iTunes podcast, the downloadable app on Podbean, MixLR, all of our articles and videos all in one place at your one-stop sports shop on wakeupcalldt.com. You've been amazing. I love you as always. Go out and do good in this world today. And don't let anybody stop you from believing in what you believe in and being a good person. I'll talk with you tomorrow.